My Year of Bad Sex, written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. Part 7. Russ was at least gay. He was a young guy, a guy I'd chatted to online. Tinder again, so there was an air of practical cleanliness about the encounter, decency and politeness, rather than the grub smut of grinder, where a conversation, I use the term loosely, can start, you top, and end when the answer indicates incompatibility, two plugs or two sockets. Russ and I had had some friendly chat, and he agreed that a massage would be nice to receive. I felt more relaxed in offering it now, after my experience with lovely Angelo, reasonably confident that I could give a good therapeutic treatment before any ethical boundaries were approached, tested, or flagrantly breached. Having agreed a day and time, I suggested we meet at the tube station. It felt right not to invite him or any stranger to my home straight away, for both our sakes. The walk is only about three minutes, but I felt it gave us both an equal opportunity in that stroll past the five-a-side football pen, the Turkish barber, the shisha cafe and the gay sex club to say something along the lines of, you know what, no offence, but I think I'm going to give this a miss. You're a nice guy, but I'm not sure this is right for me. Meaning you're older than you look in your pics, or younger, or balder, or fatter, or shorter, or in some way just not what you seemed, and therefore not what I'm looking for. Ordering online is always a hit-and-miss affair, isn't it? I prefer to go to the supermarket so I can squeeze and weigh up the melons and the avocados. Or any fruit. What? Sex club. Oh, didn't I mention that? Sorry, I thought you knew. It's called The Vault, and is about a hundred metres from my front door. I'd heard about it many years earlier, but hadn't had the desire or opportunity to visit before, when deeply ensconced in a monogamous relationship with Oliver. Then I had the opportunity, but not the desire. And now I had the opportunity and the desire, but not quite the chutzpah. From the street the entrance was enigmatic. The name of the club was stated over a black door which seemed open at all hours of the night and day whenever I passed, and a purple neon light hinted at hidden secrets within. I could see steps leading down, but beyond that everything was left to my imagination, or to the reports that I'd had from friends who'd been there, although it seemed they'd not all been to the same place. Some said it was purely a sex dungeon, pulsating with heavy bodies, others that they'd been for a drink at the bar and witnessed nothing more shocking or inflated than the price of a pint. On one occasion I was told it was roiling with so many sweaty men that a timed entry was in force. No, entry to the club, you and your smutty mind. On another it was apparently quieter than a meeting of the Michael Gove fan club. I was intrigued, of course, about what I would find if I went down the purple passage. Oh, stop it but I didn't have the metal, the, the grit, the, the spunk. Anyway, my own experience of walking past the vault several times a week hadn't led me to believe the man of my dreams was there, waiting for me. There were usually a few guys hanging around outside on the benches by the football yard, where a shot on goal made the fences rattle. What's the collective term for a gathering of horny gay men? A scrotum? They'd be having a cigarette and either talking or silently cruising, but never once in two years had I spotted someone and thought, Phew, I would. It was always, no. So Russ and I took the walk of decision, and neither of us mentioned having suddenly remembered a sick goldfish, or mother's birthday, or the goldfish's birthday. My first impression on seeing him was how slight he was, how light and slender. 
He had an easy charm and a relaxed manner, and once home we sat on my sofa discussing his family, his work, the NHS, Tinder, the hierarchy of big organisations, therapy, mental health, and so on, and on. Even his church's attitude to homosexuality. Uh-oh! He had said online that he liked to H-O-N, and so did I. Hang out naked, since you ask. Which might be sexual, but might not be. I asked if he'd like to be naked now. Yes, he would. As unself-consciously as possible, i.e. not at all unself-consciously, we stood up, took all our clothes off, hung them over the backs of chairs, and sat again with our drinks. My legs were open, his were crossed. Now the subjects for discussion included Brexit, Cats, London Underground, Tate Modern, the benefits of yoga, and vaping. I allowed my knee to fall against his leg. No response either way. Neither, please, none of that, nor, yay, let's do this. Hmm, okay. We talked some more about low-carb diets and gym routines. Russ held his glass by the stem with fingers and thumb as if it might sting him, and drank the wine in teeny sips, reinforcing my perception of him as a delicate creature of the forest. I offered him a mince pie, not just from the standpoint of hospitality, but in a maternal way. He was jolly slender, and I wanted to feed him up. Russ accepted it, holding the plate on his knees and lifting the pastry to his mouth with elegance, investing unnecessary grace in the simple task of shoving a Mr. Kipling into his pretty gob. He was so poised that, if I'd spotted a spider spinning a web between two parts of his body, I wouldn't have been surprised. When every crumb had been transported to his fine lips with the dabbing of a wet finger, and I could feel my life ebbing away, I said, Now, Russ, that massage we talked about. He wasn't at all shy, just reluctant to make the first move. Of course, that made sense. I set up the table and put some pine-scented music on. Russ lay down and I covered him with towels that had been warming in preparation. His body was slim, not muscled, but a delight to work on, because, as with all the men I massage, I was in all honesty treating the man, the character I'd come to know, even if only slightly, and would get to know more as I found knotted tissue or became aware of injuries and imbalances, pains and tenderness. But let's be clear, it's not charity work. I give the client a good experience, but I enjoy the process too, depending on the body under my fingertips. Two things about Russ were a particular treat for me. His lovely bum was meaty, soft, hairy and malleable. And the other thing that I took huge pleasure in touching was his scalp. His hair was short and tight to his skin like a fabric. I could have spent an hour on his head and bum alone, and then paid him seventy pounds for the pleasure. Russ was black, and here we introduce the complex politics of sexual attraction. I am obviously aware that this is a subject fraught with the potential to cause offence, and I am wary of saying anything that would do so. I am uncomfortable. I have a horror of being complicit in any fetishizing behaviour. So if any apology is needed for anything I say or even feel, rest assured that it will be forthcoming. Personally, I tend to find black men attractive. It's not a prerequisite, but it is a preference. I have no explanation for this. It's informed by more than just the biological. My life experience, my sociological and cultural biases, both conscious and unconscious. Some things we find sexy, some we don't. 
For me, on the yes please side, black, brown or olive tones, smile, brain, foreskin. On the thanks but no thanks side, nose rings, huge tattoos, bad teeth, untrimmed pubes, savage circumcision. Plus Tories and Brexiters, as you know. It was only the second massage I'd given after Angelo, so I hadn't yet established what would become my usual way to build to a, a climax. I was naked, but Russ ignored my dick when it brushed his open palm. I worked on his back and shoulders, bum, legs, bum, and then bum a bit more, and invited him to turn over. Before I placed a towel discreetly over his groin, I could see he was aroused. I massaged his scalp, chest, abdomen, scalp, thighs, feet, and scalp again. I concluded with a brief kiss on his dry, closed lips while resting a hand on the raised part of the towel. I asked, how was that? Without opening his eyes, he whispered politely, that was very nice, thank you, as if I'd given him another mince pie. I gave him a soft squeeze and felt him respond. May I suck it? I asked, wondering how sex had become such a formal procedure. Would we require agreement in principle, a written contract signed in the presence of a witness? I'd get better at this blurring of the boundaries, the shifting of goalposts as the year progressed, but remember I was still at the novice stage, but not the no-vice stage. Oh, he said yes, by the way, so it would have been rude not to. To say this shy fawn transformed under my touch into a wild beast would be a great story, but a total lie. He permitted me access, but seemed to take no part himself in proceedings. I was hard, and he didn't reach out and touch me just the once, but when I manoeuvred myself to make things easier for him, and asked if he wanted to reciprocate, he smiled and shook his head. Maybe his church's teachings on the sin of homosexuality were echoing too loudly in his mind. Getting a blowjob is fine, but the Lord says you can't suck dick. He didn't want to kiss, either. Hey-ho. I gave him an orgasm. It was the least sexy part of the transaction. We then returned to the sofa, naked, for another glass of sipped wine and more chat about travel, universities, politics, family, childhood, friendship. He began to tug on his todger again. I played a bit with his nipples and he gave himself another orgasm. He asked, politely, if I wanted to come too. This time it was my turn to smile and decline. I really didn't. It all felt too antiseptic. Pleasant, relaxed, friendly and nice, but not horny. No, the horny factor was zero percent. Well, make that ten percent for bum and scalp. Russ dressed and thanked me courteously. I almost expected him to shake my hand and give me a leaflet, inviting me to a tambourine recital on Sunday. There were no lies about being in touch or doing this again sometime, which I respected. After he'd gone, I gulped down his half-finished wine and masturbated, thinking, I won't be having sex again for a while. I was wrong. Angelo hadn't entirely given up on me. But although he did want to see me again, it wasn't a one-to-one -one he favoured, rather a one-to-one-to-one, -to -one -to -one, a threesome or a four-hands massage in non-sexual terms. Not that he and I were looking for something non-sexual. OK, sometimes. The naked swim, the naked yoga, the naked parties. But the joy of those was that there were nude bodies but no expectation or permission to perform anything more saucy than a bhujangasana, 
or a few lengths of front crawl. Angelo asked if he could come over. I thought about that for a nanosecond. He's young, gay, pretty, hung, and as he's Italian, everything he says sounds to me like a seduction. Although, Mr. Gionti, can we find a third? Isn't the sexiest thing to hear, even in his accent. I said, yes, Angelo, of course. But we sat together that evening, each on our own phones, scrolling through the apps. By now I had downloaded Tinder, Grinder, Scruff, and Romeo. The ones I hadn't bothered with included Squirt, Silver Daddy, Hubby Hunter, Fuck You, Massive, Shove, Gag, Hole, Daddy Hunt, Surge, My Boy, Grizzly, Mr. X, Buddy, Real Men, Gay Men, Scout, and Shag. No doubt there were others, but my thumbs were wearing out as it was. As we've discussed, Tinder is the mildest version, almost Victorian in its sensibilities. Only if there's mutual interest can communication begin. Seems reasonable to me, like meaningful flirting in real life. Sorry, IRL. God, the number of acronyms and abbreviations I've had to Google swiftly before replying. IKR. On some apps there are restrictions on the amount of bare flesh that can be shown in profile pictures, even if that flesh is an arm or leg. They have to be approved before going live, as if a calf or shoulder might corrupt a delicate soul, someone who'd collapse on a chaise long and need to be revived with salvolatile. One or two allow only chaste profile pics, but the ability to send other images, dick pics, privately. The speed of that step can vary enormously. Some guys are blatant in their agenda and dip straight below the waist, like being approached at a party by someone whose first words are show us your cock, without the preamble of trust me, I'm a doctor. From me they get shrift that's very short. I'm far from shy, as I suspect you suspect, but at least say hi and invest two or three polite sentences before shoving your hand down my pants. And then there's Grinder, the daddy of them all. Here there is no expectation of manners or even tolerance of them sometimes. It's like being at an orgy, or sex party as I've learned to say, where if you're not groped by ten different men before you've even hung up your coat, you'd be offended. If someone taps me, as the grinder jargon goes, and I'm not interested for whatever reason – nose ring, tattoos, bad teeth, Tory – I send my standard reply. Thanks for getting in touch. No offence, but it's not a match, so I'll just say hi and bye and wish you happy cruising. You're a handsome guy, and you'll get plenty of other offers. It's a response I've given many, many times – oh, I'm so popular – that predictive text knows exactly where I'm going, and offers each word like a great caddy proffering the right club to a golfer. But my sense of manners seems to unnerve people who are used to playing by other rules, and they thank me sweetly for being rejected so nicely. Always room for politeness, I say, even on Grinder. I must come across like Mary Poppins. Or Mary Poppers. So there we are. Angelo and I, on my sofa, on our phones, on the hunt for a third party to join us. He's posted a request on a massage exchange site and had a lot more responses than I have. Well, obviously, he's a beautiful young man. I find a few excuses to touch his leg, to emphasise a point or when leaning over to view his screen, but there is scant evidence of his sexual desire for me. This is hard to fathom. How did it come to this? Angelo was pestering Kevin for my number and was dead keen to meet me. Then he wanted to feel my warmth in the massage, which he did, and now here we are scouring local postcodes for a man as if choosing a dish from a takeaway menu. 
What about him? Do you prefer this one? Is he available now? Nice body, but no face pick. I fancy this one, but you won't. Can we get extra fries and a salad? I had invested a bit of romance in this relationship. Silly old fool. I'd allowed my mind to race ahead into all kinds of sweet fantasies. Now, realising the sheer pragmatism of the new dating scene, I relinquish aspirations of intrigue, flirtation and courtship. It's a swipe-left world. We find someone who is not too old for me, nor too young for Angelo, who is nearby and free now. Angelo does the necessary chat and we await Jan, or John as I mistakenly call him several times when he arrives, and we sit with our glasses of wine, chatting. He's in his late forties and I definitely don't fancy him. He's not from London, he's in town for work, and he says he has a wife back home in Cornwall. Red Ruth. Angelo mistakes that for her name, and there follow several minutes of discussion at cross-purposes about what Ruth is really like. A bit provincial, Chan says. Small and narrow-minded. I need something bigger. I see. So why you stay? It's my job, really. Eventually I will have to leave, start a new life. What, with a bigger woman? Sorry, what? Ruth is red and too small for you? I get things back on course. It turns out that John Jan is one of the many bi-curious men around on the apps. I'm not fond of labels, but it seems there are more and more varieties. Just as our food, which once used to come out of the ground and into the oven, then onto our plates and into our guts, is now dairy-free, gluten-free, low-carb, sugar-free, organic, vegan, and may contain traces of nuts. Well, our sexuality can now be categorised in a myriad of ways. I suppose once upon a time, i.e., before the 20th century, there were normal and we don't talk about it. Then in my generation we progressed to normal and gay, we used, or queer, they used. Later, queer became what we use if we were born after 1980, and then came the exotic and slightly mysterious bisexual, before the whole alphabet of letters denoting the rainbow of ways to be anything other, or nothing at all, or shifting between. So, Jan's label for himself was of minimal interest to me. I was more struck by the fact that he said it was only his second encounter with men. I later discovered that saying it's only my second or only my first time was some kind of talismanic statement, like, if I don't kiss, I'm not really gay, or I've given you a fake name, so it's not really me doing this. Jan said, I had one experience before, but I think a massage will help me in my transition to be more comfortable with guys. I felt protective and a responsibility to give him a good experience. I sat at the massage table and got the warm towels. We all undressed and he lay down. I began the treatment and was surprised that Angelo, whose idea the shared massage was, and who had picked Jan from the menu, lay on the sofa with his eyes closed as if waiting for his flight to be called. When I'd finished on Jan's back, I moved lower and signalled Angelo to join me. He copied my strokes accurately, so that we were giving a genuine forehands massage to Jan's buttocks and legs. We turned him over and worked on his scalp, chest, arms and feet. After an hour, we'd completed a thorough sequence, and only one part of his body had not yet been touched. From the bulge in the towel, he was up for it. I lifted the fabric and rested a hand on his cock. It was neither very large nor very small. I checked his face, his body, his cock. Nope, none of them excited me. 
Even so, this was the deal, and I wanted Jan to feel comfortable with guys. So I played with his dick for a while. I thought about sucking it, but really didn't fancy it, so pointed it towards Angelo, as if offering him a spliff. He accepted and did the honours. We continued, making up a routine and establishing a rhythm of give and take. But the sexiest, by far the sexiest thing of all, was when Angelo and I leaned across the supine form of Jan to share long, slow kisses, or when one of us took the other's cock into our mouth. Angelo, I wanted to say, why are we bothering with a three-way when it could just be a you-and-me thing? But, as Kevin had said, Angelo would float in and float out again. Angelo the butterfly, la farfalla. He climbed onto one end of the table, and I climbed onto the other, thankful that I'd paid top whack for a decent weight-bearing model. Jan gave no clue of not being comfortable around guys, as we offered him cocks and kisses, but he didn't rise from his position and was passivity incarnate. It all felt fine, safe, respectful, and a bit dull. Three orgasms later, it was wet wipes and showers. Angelo checked the time and was worried about his last bus home. We said our goodbyes and thank yous politely at the door. It was matter of fact, not awkward or embarrassing, nothing to regret. Adults sharing a good time. A fairly good time. I asked Angelo to let me know when he'd got home safely and heard an echo of my mum's voice. She'd be proud of me, I thought. For my manners, anyway, not the rest. I made myself dinner of grilled fish with baked parsnips, carrots and kale with a tricolore salad and a glass of Sauvignon Blanc, followed by fresh mango with vanilla yoghurt and two squares of dark chocolate. Now that's what I call delicious. I wondered what Red Ruth would say. My Year of Bad Sex is written and read by me, Jonathan Izard. The music and studio production are by Andy Mills. My Year of Bad Sex is a Protocol production. Protocol.